important process clearly. Well, in a sense, truly, from the solution's point of view, it's an imaginary problem. You know, the problem that's driving you crazy, seemingly, is an imaginary one. The highest form of expression you can find is appearance. It can only appear to be so. It can never actually become so. But it can appear to be so in our own minds. Yeah? So, like, there's an acronym in recovery we use called for fear. It's false evidence appearing real. So, if you really looked at it, how could false evidence ever be real? But it's not saying false evidence being real. It's false evidence appearing real. Yeah? That's the best it can do. And how it appears real, it must have someone to appear real to. It's just not appearing real. It's appearing real to you. Yeah? That's the dilemma in a lot of ways, because a lot of people, their anxiety, or what they're entertaining as anxiety, is actually not happening. Yeah? It's not happening today. The events that they're, they're worried about or concerned about aren't actually happening. So it's very difficult to share your feelings about what's not happening, because the problem the other person has is it's not happening. Yeah? They don't see it. They're not tasting it, they're not touching it, they're not feeling it. So they can be very, have empathy and this and that, but in a sense, what the hell are they talking about? Because the person's mind is anxious around something that's not going on. Yeah? It's going on in thoughts, but it's not actually going on where you can feel it, taste it, touch it, sense it. You can't really have conscious contact with it. Yeah? You're not engaged with it. You're only engaged, the mind's only engaged with it. Yeah? So, the thing is, if most of the anxiety people are having today isn't really based on today at all, it's based on yesterday or a future event, yes? So, in a sense, it's not happening. In one sense, it's happening, the thoughts are occurring, yes? But, in another sense, it's not happening what those thoughts are about, or who thinks who's having the thoughts. That's also not occurring. So, the whole thing is, is if I am obsessed over something that's not happening, what would be the solution to that? No, because you can't, you're not in control of the thoughts, are you? It's like trying to herd cats. Is it? Try to stop to think about it right now. How long does it last? Yeah. Because the fact is, it's assumed that you're the thinker, but I'm, not, I'm saying you're not even the thinker of the thoughts. Yeah? So therefore, you have really no control over them. They're, an, they're almost like an involuntary mechanism. The mental process is producing thoughts, and then you have the consciousness to see them, you know, form of calling, listening to them, you hear them, yes? That's the contact. But the idea that you're the thinker is as absurd as the idea that you're the digester of your food. I mean, no one's coming in here thinking, I've got about four hours I've got to spend tonight digesting the burrito I had yesterday, and I forgot that pizza last Tuesday, so I've got to you know, spend a couple hours a day digesting food. It's sort of like people are saying, Paul, you're growing your hair. And in fact, I'm not doing that, I'm just not cutting it. It's not like I take a couple hours a week and grow it. You know, Tonight I have to stay home and grow my hair. Grow it, this, grow it, pull it, this and that. No, it's basically if I don't do anything about it, it grows. Yeah. 
So I'm not really the doer of the growing of the hair. And as most of us know, we're not the doer of the digestion of our food. So it sounds funny. Oh, yes, you're going to have to go home. You, you know, you're at a party. Suddenly it dawns on you. I got to eat that burrito. <laughs> and you run home and, you know, digest it. <laughs> but then there's a much subtler process that the brain is involved with, which is thoughts. And there's a sense that you're the thinker of them. Yeah. That's insane, isn't it? It's an insane leap that you're not the digester of your food, you're not the pumper of your heart, are you? You're not moving the blood around your body. You're not controlling the synapses of your nerves. Yet, a subtle process called thinking, you are put in the position of being the thinker of. Yeah. Once you're put in the position of being the thinker of, all those thoughts that you believe you thought have a different effect on you. A huge effect, yeah. It's sort of like if you were in a park and kids were playing and there was 30 kids, where would your attention be usually on? Your kid, yeah? So let's say all these thoughts are going on, all these thoughts are going on, but you're in a position of you're the thinker of them. Then all those thoughts are your kids, in a way. You're going to attend to those thoughts in a, in a preformed relationship as the thinker or as the object of the thoughts. That's the bondage. That's how thoughts are used to bond you to the idea of being a self. That's how they're used. Yeah? They're not used by the thought on the thought side, they're used on the my side. Yeah? When they're my thoughts, the bonding is coming from the my, not from the thought. The thought is just a thought, yeah? It conveys meaning. But where does the meaning come from? Not from the thought, but from the thinker, from the mind that's seeing the thought. And if it's seeing it in an ignorant way, where it's, it's ignoring some important information, and it's taking itself to be the thinker of the thought, yes? Now that thought now is conveyed meaning, conditional meaning, downloaded from a conditional mind. Yeah? A mind that's sort of like the cloud in the internet. There's tons of information there, yes? It's just there, and it can be accessed. It's accessed by the mind through the mind. Yeah? So as soon as a thought comes by, and it has a certain meaning in language, yeah, it triggers, with the mind, it triggers the meaning that your own head's going to give it. Yeah? And then that meaning downloads into the thought, you open it up like a piñata, believing that was the bringer of the meaning, but basically it was projection first, not perception. You're not perceiving the meaning of that thought. The mind's projecting the meaning into the thought. And then the apparatus, built in a certain way, perceives it as if it's real and solid and that's its inherent meaning. But you gave it all the meaning it has. Yeah. From the like, backlog of experience and emotion. Conditioning, all of that stuff, yes. Like a giant internet cloud. Tons of information. It's just there. It doesn't need to download, but it can download. How it has the possibility of downloading is through the bridge of mind. Yeah? The mind. So a thought, let's say if you have 70,000 thoughts a day, which they say we do. There are 70,000 thoughts being generated. Let's just say 7,000 of them. So there are 7,000 thoughts coming. But they're held as your thoughts. Yeah? So you can actually say the, the oldest thought or the original thought is the, is the thought of being the thinker. Yeah? So the thinker now 
is the, condu- the conduit for all this meaning to be downloaded into the thoughts that are going on in your head all day. So you're not really responding to the thoughts, you're responding, you're reacting to the meaning the mind's giving it, yeah? And the meaning can only find its, its fruition through this expression, through the bridge of mind. If you see the thought as a thought, you, there isn't that download, there isn't that injection of meaning, yeah? And so what happens is, let's say you have 77,000 thoughts a day, you've been traveling as if they're yours for a long time, and that means every one of them, let's say, weighs a pound. Yeah? Everyone weighs a pound. They can totally turn your whole day around in one thought. Yeah? It has so much meaning. What if I... Boom. Yeah? Your whole day, you'll, you won't see the sun anymore. You won't feel the wind. All your other conscious gates will be cut off. You won't be smelling the flowers. All you'll be doing is observing and reacting to the thoughts. Yeah? It's called an interpretation of life. Yeah? Your attention and interest will leave the... The gates of seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, smelling, yes? They'll leave there and they'll go up into this. Seeing the thoughts in an ignorant manner, which is, it's going to produce an interpretation, yeah? And you're going to live by that instead of living by feeling, tasting, touching, smelling, and seeing, which actually indicates the consciousness behind it, yeah? The consciousness that's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. When you're at the point of conscious contact, and we're always at that point, what really gets remembered, not remembered, what really gets emphasized in all of the contact is the consciousness that's in contact. With all the seeing and all the hearing and all the feeling and all the tasting, one thing is there that's initiating all the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and that's the spirit or the consciousness. The mental process does a weird bastardization of that. It, it says you're the one who's conscious, which causes you to be unconscious of the conscious contact, and now you're given everything the meaning it has. You. So every time there's a thought, you're the thinker. Just like when you're really aware of this right now, every sensation of feeling, you, real, you feel the feeling, which is what's feeling. The consciousness. That's what gets emphasized in your day. Yeah? And it gets constantly emphasized because you're seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching all day. Yeah? So every time there's a scene, yeah, the emphasis doesn't go on the seer or the scene, it stays in the scene, the event of seeing. Hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. You're now in the verbing of life. You're, watch, you're aware of the verbing of life. So when seeing occurs, it doesn't immediately jump into the seer scene. When hearing is occurring, it doesn't jump into the hearer heard. When feeling is occurring, it doesn't jump immediately into the feeler and the felt. Yes? It pauses in the experience of conscious contact. Yeah? It's quite liberating from the interpretation. Yeah? And because it's always available at all times, you can't have anything, a larger demonstration of love than that. Because the possibility of forgetting seems to always be available, yet the reminding of it is always available. So when we call it the pause in recovery, there's a pause. They even talk about it in in, in, uh, science. There's the conscious contact, and there's a pause. That's the recognition of your original face, the consciousness, and then there's the interpretation kicks in about what was seen, what was felt, what was taught, heard, what was smelled, 
always based on the smeller, the hearer, the feeler, the taster. And now verbing, the being of light becomes a noun. Yeah. Like witnessing? Don't even go to witnessing. That thing has been co- so co-opted, that word. Just seeing. Just get, you know, just the basic dog shit experience of being conscious right now is the touchstone. And that's where that's where you build your little temple all day. Because it's the doors are always open all day. You can go in at any time. There's no there's no big sign with masses on Sunday from nine to ten. It's always available at all times, right where you are, with or without a scripture in your back pocket, you know, with or without a picture of a saint in your wallet, with or without any of that. Yeah, you become your own scripture. You're the living scripture. Yeah. The mind that's seen right now. So they say in recovery, self, yes, the small s, if some people are from other spiritual groups, self sometimes represents all there is, you know, large s, but in recovery we use it as a small s. And first of all, self is that's given it too much uh, relevance. It's selfing. It never reaches the point where it becomes what it's attempting to produce. Yeah, this can only be selfing. It's limited by its non-existence. It can only appear. <laughs> it can't become so. Yeah, that's the good news. No matter how deeply you believe it's so, it doesn't make it so. It can only appear to be so. And then, and the mind that it's appearing to be so can entertain very quickly that it's not so. Yeah, the false evidence that's appearing real can be seen just to be false evidence. And if you if you keep seeing it as false evidence, and for me, it wasn't about trying to look into that. It was to see who was who was the the noun that was behind it all. If I'm not that, what happens is I lose interest in the system that's promoting that. Yeah. My, I lose interest in it. Like St. Francis says, it's in self-forgetting. Yeah. Like Dogen, a great Zen master from Japan, said, you know, the study of Buddhism is to study the self. And when you study the self, what you do, you forget the self. Because if you truly study the self, you're going to study it like a foreign installment. You're going to see that it may not be you. And when it becomes, if that becomes relevant, that idea to you, what will happen is you will lose interest in the production, the reinforcement, the inferring, the assuming, the implying, that whole system that is tempting to point to that imaginary someone. You'll lose interest in all the pointers. Yeah? Because what happens is the pointers can only go so far. The mind is what makes the leap into the feeling of being a someone. All this mental process can do is point that there's a someone, infer that there's a someone, imply, insinuate. It can't make that someone. It can only do that. The mind does the rest. We make the leap. Therefore, the solution is right where you are. If you don't make the leap, that's the pause. And that's your original face. You actually, in a sense, sense what you really are, which is the active, incredible... uh, Filled nothingness. Yeah? 
And then right after that, right after the recognition, because your original face is what meets or greets the conscious contact. And then there's the pseudo-face, the mental processes idea or view. And then it jacks that up. What happens is, we're starting right from here. So we're starting from here, and yet life starts here. When this appears, this mental idea of you, it says that you're here, but you're never behind the camera. You're always in front of the camera. You're always something that's being looked at. You're not what's looking as this, yeah? It wants, see, the mental process takes time. It produces a sense of self, yeah? You didn't, it wasn't happening when you were a kid, when you were a baby. It wasn't happening. You were conscious and there was consciousness in contact, but there wasn't any sense of a someone. Yeah. You have to research. It's proven over and over again. Supposedly around 18 months, the, the mental process of selfing starts gathering steam and it starts producing this sense of self. And so the mind falls into it, and from there on in, you're taking yourself to be a someone, and then that th- at this point of giving this name and form, you give everything else name and form. And then the movie starts. Yeah. That's what happens. But the fact is, it's a mental process, selfing. You have, in your, in your cellular sense, you have a sense when it wasn't so. And if, it, if there could be any time it wasn't so, that definitely guarantees it never was so. The only level it can reach is it can appear to be so. And it has to have a you, and it has to have a mind to appear to be so too. Yeah? That same mind that falls under the spell is the same mind that comes out of the spell. There's no difference in it whatsoever. Yeah? So here's this mental process... It's producing the sense of self. When it produces the sense of self, you feel like you were before the process. Yeah? You feel like you were before the process. So here's the self. So someone recognizes, hey, I've been, they recognize the selfing a little bit, yeah? So then they call me up and they go, hey, I've been selfing all day. That's the product of the selfing. The feeling that it was you that was doing it, yeah? Or the selfing's driving me crazy. That's the product of the selfing. It isn't the driving crazy, it's the someone who's being driven crazy. That's it. That's what it's producing. It's a sense. You feel like you're a someone. And that vague feeling is put on this very, very unvague definition of a body. Yeah. So you have this vague sense of being a someone, and it's defined as being a body somehow, or in a body, or located at a body. Yeah. So here's the body. Now the thought system, check the thought system out. What does the thought system value? Does it value now, or does it value the past and the future? The thing that's yapping in your head all day. Where does it value? Exactly. Its value is in the past and the future. It isn't in now, yeah? And when you think about yourself, let's say four years ago, how do you picture yourself? Four years ago? Yeah, as a body. How can you remember yourself? As a body, yeah? You can't remember your spirit four years ago, basically, because it would be the same feeling of spirit now. Yeah? Oh, my spirit was a little under the weather then, four years ago, and now because I've been going on a lot of trees. No, the spirit is your spirit. It's not corporal. It doesn't have any qualities. It doesn't get better or bad. Yeah? So to be, what we think of ourselves, the thought system thinks of you as a body, in a sense. Yeah? 
So it thinks of you five years ago and it pictures you as a body. And when it's worrying about you four years from now, it pictures you as a body. They're both forms of remembering the self. Yeah? For so, the thing is, self, there is no long-lasting, independent, separate entity. So the best it can do is be remembered. Yeah? How is it remembered? How is the mental process remembering the self? It pictures you as a body four years ago, and it thinks about that body as you, and in that sense, you are now remembering the self, and you feel like you're that self that's being remembered. Now. I was in a different spiritual condition four years ago. Yeah, but the spirit wasn't in a different condition. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, I'm not in on the joke. No, the spirit wasn't in a different condition. Your spiritual condition, your relationship with that spirit was different. Okay. But the spirit wasn't different one bit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you, you see it? Yeah. 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 All right, so here. Now, here's this thought system thinking about you in the future. You're pictured as a body somehow. Like, am I, I'm going to have cancer. What has cancer? The spirit or the body? Right. Yes. I'm going to be destitute. What's going to be destitute? The spirit or the person? Yeah? So obviously, so here my thought system is worrying about me, and the me is pictured as a body, and in that worrying about me in the future, it's remembering me now. Yeah? Yeah, it's tricky. So it goes like this. This is this logic. I was there, I will be there, therefore I am here. That's the best it can do. That's what it does all day. It remembers itself. Because there isn't one to be there. You can't have a direct conscious contact with self or as self. Because there isn't one. It has to be remembered. Because the only, the highest level of, of realization it can reach is appearing. Yeah? It can appear to be so. How does it appear to be so now? It's by being remembered. So you're remembering yourself just an hour ago, basically as a body. Yeah? And you're going to be remembering yourself if you're worrying, where are we going to go to dinner tonight as a body? Yeah. While that's happening, the remembering has the effect now. You have a sense of being a self. You have a sense of being that one that was there and that one that's going to be there. And then it makes a leap into, I'm here now. Yeah. And so it gets established as you, very subtly or very covertly or very overtly, and then it rips on that all day. And then the thought system supports that sense of self. Yeah. So just like I said with the haircut, people say you're growing your hair as if I'm the doer of that. Our language is a subjective language used by objects. This, this is an object using a subjective language, like I'm doing everything. Yet this, most of the systems of this body are involuntary. They have no control. They're on their own. Except for one... Breath is half and half. Breath is half control, half involuntary. But then the one thing, the mental process has gotten the megaphone and just ran wild. You know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Yes, I'm the thinker, I'm the feeler. <laughs> How can you? It's so funny when people say, "I don't want to," "I do want to," "I don't want to feel that." You've already felt it. Yeah, you're like a Johnny come lately. You already feel it, and I don't want to feel that. But you already did. It's so like me, if I had my eyes open, I don't want to see anything fly by this window. But I would see if anything flew by the window. Yeah? 
I'm not going to, with my eyes open, I'm not going to see anything if I light a window. Oh, I saw something. It's the same thing with thinking. I'm not going to think anymore today. I know when I first got sober, I said, I'm not going to resent anyone. In five minutes, I had a resentment towards somebody. Because there's an assumption of power where there isn't any power. Yeah. That's the solution in a sense. The true power comes from powerlessness. When you admit your powerlessness, you're not going to experience powerlessness. You only experience powerlessness when you exert power you don't have. Yeah? How much experience of powerlessness have you had concerning your thought system? Quite a lot, yeah? Because you've been trying to exert power, you don't have any over it. So it's very freaking frustrating. You can read all the affirmation books, yet some of those thoughts are going to seem to be negative to you that arise. Like, you're probably not going to be wishing everyone well all day, are you? Probably not. Yeah? It's very difficult. Why? Because we don't have any power over it. The assumption that we should have power over it is causing us a lot of discomfort. Yeah? Which does what? After enough discomfort, there's a drive for relief. And we're apt to do almost anything to get relief from something. But if we were in the right relationship with the systems, in other words, if we were in a position where we could see life is happening instead of happening to me, yeah, seeing life is happening is a much different uh, way of holding life than happening to me. As soon as it becomes happening to me, there's shoulds and shouldn'ts. This shouldn't be happening to me. Or this should be happening to me. And then there's just all this mental minutiae downloads about these incredible assumptions that have no possibility in actually real living. Like, I, I, don't, I, shouldn't, I don't need to be where I am. This whole idea, this whole idea of like trying to get into the moment, to me, is totally insane. It is freaking insane. Because you can't be out of a moment. Have you been out of any moment that you've been in your whole life? Have you really... I can't see that there's any escape. You are the moment. Yeah? So this whole idea of, you know, I'm going to really, really get into the moment. <laughs> you know? They have the books out. They flip, flip me out. How to get into the moment. Then there's, there's a chapter, you know, the second edition. How to really get into the moment. Then the third edition. How to really, really get into the moment. It's presuming that you could be out of something. Yeah? That's the insanity Question the assumptions what your ba- your life is based on instead of having them taken to be fact and now looking for a solution. Question the assumptions. This whole idea of I have to get out of self. How can you get out of something you can never possibly be in? I mean, the best way to get out of something is to realize you were never in it. That's the only way that works. Because if, you, if there's any possibility that you were in it, and there was any possibility you got out of it, there's going to be a strong possibility you'll find yourself in it again. Yeah? Nothing will stabilize. You'll just be going in and out the same door. On one side it says out, the other side it says in. So you're in, out, in, out. It's the same thing. You're going back and forth. It's called the bondage of self. When it dawns on you, it's so freaking obvious. You know? You really start seeing blue is blue and red is red. Things become very clear with no thought or effort on your part. They just happen that way. You know? 
Things that seem to have been knotted up just loosen up on their own accord. Because you see, you're the thread that runs through everything. Everything finds meaning through you. You know, you and I are giving everything all the meaning it has. We can give spiritual a meaning that it can be a condition that I have instead of seeing the absoluteness of spirit. Yeah? Or just same thing, the meaning but that's been given to consciousness. I can become more conscious or less conscious and we totally miss the whole state of consciousness. Yeah? We, make, we make a state into a possibility that depends on me and you. Yeah? Instead of surrendering to the realization that it's a state and realize you have no relevance whatsoever. Therefore, consciousness will be always available at all times. The awareness of that will be always available at all times to you. Instead of having it like dished out because of what you did. Like if I went on the retreat, I felt more conscious. If I acted out and just said something bad, I'm really unconscious that day. What is that but playing God by a little meager tyrant called a, a mental process? And that's what we talk about in recovery. Quit playing God. It doesn't work. That's what the selfing is doing. It's playing God. So, and, and, you know, as an addict, alcoholic, if a craving is a mental process, how do you how do you get out of that? Just by being conscious of it, or? Well, that will help you a lot. If you see a craving, that's just a craving. Usually what registers or triggers is the sense of you being the one who has the craving. That's the real dilemma. So if you separate, you make the distinction that this, this is just a thought process. That's right. You'll be able to travel lighter through it. Yeah. The craving needs an advertisement to catch your attention. Yeah, the advertisement, it's you that's craving. We didn't say not think about it. We're saying just question it. Oh. Question it, there's no thought involved at all. The true question comes from seeing, not by asking. You see it, yeah? You see it. You see the craving, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would stir you into action is the you, not the craving. The best the craving can do is trigger the you, and then the you triggers the action. Yeah, We're going to cut out that middle man and middle woman, so then the craving can be seen. Yeah, And then it will be trying to trigger, and no trigger will occur, and then you'll really see what it is, which is an eight. It'll just come and go. Yes. The whole point when a craving arises, arises and then there's a you there that claims the craving, then time is injected into it and you think it's going to be like that for fucking ever. And so the need to get some relief is so paramount because it uses time and it stretches it out like I'm going to feel like this forever. That's a lie. Never. It can't withstand, it cannot withstand that energy. It dissipates quickly. But as soon as the you gets hooked up into it and now it's you, that's craving, then the demand really accelerates to get out. Yeah? And then you, you then, then an action takes place, the genie's out of the bottle, and now you're up on stalking charges or something. You know, shit happens really fast. Or well, whatever it is. Let's say you've got jealousy as a little bit of there. As soon as you drink and use, it gets amplified. 
all those little characteristics that are there, and they're sort of latent right now, they're not acting out, you give it the fuel, they start acting out again. And then you're sorely upset because you thought you were rid of them. You cannot get rid of what's not so. It just appears and disappears based on the mind that's entertaining you. Yeah? So you think something's gone forever. Nothing is ever gone. It would, have to, it would have had to be here to be gone. It's just removed. Yeah? Things appear to be so. They have relevance only to the mind that's seeing it that way. Then they dissipate when the mind changes. When the mind goes into a bad state, yeah? It's petri dish, starts producing those things, same things again, and now they start appearing to be real. It's all resting on you. It's all resting on the mind. Yes? The mind is giving everything all the meaning it has here. That's what's happening. Yes? The mind is a liar. One aspect of it is, for sure. But who does it lie to? Well, question that me. If it ain't you, then the lying will have no one to catch the lie. Yeah? It'll be just like a ball thrown with no mitt ever raised to catch it. The ball just gets thrown. That's all. Just happening. Yes? And then there's a sense of what's seeing all that. And that's what I am, is the seeing of all of that. I am the seeing of what's not, what's, what's not happening. I am the seeing of everything that's arising. But I'm not arising. Yeah? I'm not arising. I'm not based on circumstances and situations. I'm not based on any condition, be it spiritual, physical, emotional, mental. Yes? I'm a something other than all of that. And that becomes your resting point. Yes? And from there, you stabilize and you start traveling lighter here. Traveling lighter today. Not next week when you go on your little vacation or what they call, to me, they're like spiritual vacations, some of these retreats. You're going kayaking, you know, you're getting massage, little tantric sessions, maybe you sit for an hour to give yourself a, I'm on a spiritual retreat. It's like a vacation, you know. <laughs> I get these brochures, man. <laughs> that sounds great. Kayaking in Costa Rica. Where's the, where's the retreat? <laughs> Try to go to Thailand. Eat, one, eat once at like 10 in the morning and starve yourself the whole day. You know, there's no kayaking. You're going to sit for 14 hours meditating. <laughs> nothing changes your inherent state. Yeah, nothing. You can't polish that mirror. You can't use activity to find stillness. It's That's fucking activity. There's a certain things that don't work. They may work out here getting a new job and this and that. They don't work when it's about the revelation of what you are to what you are. It doesn't work. Yeah? You've got to find... You can't use the methodology of doing and having into a state of being. All you'll do and have yourself is, is into a mental state. Yeah? Another mental state. That's totally, totally is going to come and go. Totally, it's like building a house on shaky ground. But what being is, what that that pulse of life is, that conscious contact, that conscious contact, that consciousness, that beingness, is complete in and of itself already. It's not of time, so it doesn't need any time to process itself into a culmination or to a crescendo, because it's complete already. So it's not of time. It is the timeless quality of our days. Yeah, It's the underlying timelessness that allows time to appear in it. Yeah, That thing is totally complete. You're not going to do and have yourself into it. You're going to do and have yourself out of it, really, in a sense. 
It can only appear to be, but you'll appear to be out of it, trying to get back in it. That's the freaking dilemma, yeah? The insanity of it is, it convinces you you're somewhere else, and then it tells you, and now there's a path to get back to me. <laughs> Good luck. I'll sell you a map. It worked 3,000 years ago. Follow this map, and you'll get back to where you could never possibly have left. <laughs> but see, we believe we're not there, and therefore, that seems valuable. Okay, tell me a way how to get back. Well, the way to how to get back is realize you never left. How long did that take? Boom. <laughs> no, no time at all. How many processes did you have to practice? None. Yeah. What was required of me? It's already in place. You're conscious. Yeah. Your mind has the ability to reflect. There's the conscious consciousness going on. The mind can reflect that. In that reflection, nothing will appear. It will notice its original face, which is of nothingness. And then the gig's up. Yeah. Now, now it doesn't take the self so seriously. It sees it as a process, selfing, just like the, the blood's being pumped, just like the heart's beating, yes? The, these thoughts are thinking, and they're implying, to, they're implying and insinuating, because of the language construct, that there's a someone that's behind it all, and you're that, yeah. You're the doer somehow, you're the feeler, you're the hearer, you're the taster, you're the toucher. It's implying that you're the one, not consciousness, but you. Yeah? And then you're established as the new king or queen, and now you're in your little kingdom of separation and dis-ease and irritability and restlessness and not getting what you want or losing what you have. All of those possibilities seem to be so now. But where are they based on? Are they based on their own reality, or are they based on the reality that you're giving them? Yeah? Where's your role in it all? Are you giving everything the meaning it has, or is everything giving you the meaning? Does everything actually have a real meaning, and they're giving it to you, or are you giving everything the meaning it has? We're sitting at an event here. Everyone's going to have a different experience here. They have a different take, different mental take, different emotional feeling, different other feeling, yeah? Everyone's going to have their own subjective little event here. Yet the event was the exact same event for everyone that's in here, yeah? It's like subjectivity comes in really handy when you want to be creative. Does it t- come in really handy? It does. Does it? I think. Well, maybe because there is a, we're all unique demonstrations, in a sense. This is like a unique brush that something's painting through. Yeah, we were talking about it the other day. Something's moving through every one of us, and that something is using us like a brush, and it's painting what it's painting here all, all day. And the backload of experiences helps a unique expression. I would say so. Yes. And it's not. I have this like fear, like letting it go. Well, it's not about letting it go. It's not about letting it, it's actually letting it be. It's not about letting it go. It's about letting it be. Yeah? In other words, you'll be you'll be more unique when you're not an individual than you ever will be when you're trying to be one so much. Yeah? You'll be more individualized as an expression than ever. 
It's tricky. Yes. Not being individual is the is the greatest way to express individualization. Not being one. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, you have too many thoughts and ideas about being an individual. When they're given up, your individuality will really shine through. That makes sense. Huh? Oh, that it does make a lot of sense, but yeah. the best way is to find out. <laughs> to, to have an idea, oh, I think, oh, that could be true. It's nothing like finding out. And that's the beauty of this whole message. This isn't something, uh, something else to know. It's really about, I don't know. Hopefully you're getting nothing here. <laughs> exactly what you came in with. Hopefully you'll leave with exactly what you came in with, which is nothing. Yeah? That nothing is the gift that keeps on giving. That's really the gift. Yeah? It's in that nothingness, in that sense of I don't know, then you are relegated to find out. And finding out is a beautiful form of knowledge. Beautiful form of knowledge. It holds a lot more water than I know because I've seen people who sincerely knew and three hours later they didn't know. Yeah? They were totally convinced, and then they're unconvinced. That's the dualistic construct of the mind, yeah? the conditional mind. But finding out is a different form of knowledge. Find a, finding out can become like an unspoken yes in you. Yeah? Or, like in my experience, this became the last answer. I heard this, I don't know how many years ago. My mind's been entertaining it ever since, and it's the last answer that it's run into you. Yeah? And I was freed for any need for any more answers. I was freed from the need to be liberated. There was all this freedom that started downloading that didn't make any sense to how I thought it should be or how I thought it should look. And thank God I didn't have much investment on how I thought it should look anymore. So I could actually see it as it is. Yeah? And then respond in kind. Not conceptually try to make it into something, but respond to the downloads. Yeah? And let it be what it wanted to be. And the only way I know what it's going to be is by finding out. Yeah? By the living of it. Yes? Not by knowing. Knowing neuters everything to me. Mental knowing neuters everything. It's like putting something under glass. You think you have it, but the life is gone. How much do you have? It's, it's basically dead. What is it going to really inform you of? All it can do is be a pale reflection of your own conceptual ideas. It's dead. Just like a dead master. What's a dead master going to do? You know, you can go give, start giving talks and have pictures of him. If he came into the talk, he'd say, what the fuck are you doing with that picture of me there? I don't know you. You know what I mean? It's all these things can happen. With a dead person, it's easy. But when it's alive, and this message is alive, it's alive, it's, it's brimming with enthusiasm. It's awake, and I mean a brilliant fucking alive awakeness. Not like awake, like the void, and it's just like a giant dark closet with old clothes in it. The void. No, it's a living, live, you know, <laughs> latent with possibilities. Yeah? Inherently empty, but latent with immense amount of possibilities. We were talking about it the other day with this idea of traveling later. Let's say people have these peak experiences here and a lot of the iceberg dumped off, but then it, the ice again will probably freeze and recoagulate. Yeah? But this is sort of like every second of every day from now on, some of the heaviness of the day, of the possible heaviness will be skimmed off. Yeah? So like this, 
this, there was this great bank heist. What they did is they had they took like like zero point one fourth of a penny out of billions of transactions. When you looked at each transaction, it was so tiny, no one recognized what was going on. But because there was billions of transactions, they got away with quite a lot of money. Yeah, this is sort of what it's like. You start traveling lighter every day, every hour, every week. Yeah, and for the rest of your life, you travel lighter. And if you ever see it at the end, you cannot believe how much relief has been offered to you by the simple entertaining of these possibilities. How much relief the simple entertaining these possibilities brought about. Not in one giant chunk sometimes, but every day, in every one of your experiences, a little bit skimmed off, you know? A little traveling lighter, traveling lighter. Not changing the geography of your destiny, but traveling lighter over whatever that geography is going to be. Now, the, it looks exciting and very romantic with the big chunks falling off, you know. you can. I had the event of, usually it's at a cliff, you know, with the wind blowing through your hair. And, you know, you see a vision, and, oh, it's, and you have your ex-girlfriends watching in adoration. Oh, yes, fall <laughs> No, this is, no one notices it, but all day, every day, you go into the bank, you know, you're pumping gas, you get to the beach, the surf is in good disappointment could arise. All this happens every day, every second. All these mental states, a big little skim off of all of them. All the emotional states that arise. And then a lot of emotional states arise all day. A lot of mental states arise all day. A lot of physical states are arising all day. Every one of them skimmed off, skimmed off, skimmed off. And it won't even dawn on you, maybe over time, and then you have an immense amount of gratitude and honoring comes over you. Because you see... You see that it's in the smallest thing that we would actually call nothing is the greatest gift. Yeah? Your inherent condition is actually what you've been looking for. And then you finally learn that you can't look for it because you're looking from it. Yeah, Looking for it is a form of blindness, but looking from it is seeing. Yeah? And there's, there's a recognition, the calibration of the mind shifts, 51% of the stock go over the one side, and now you have some strong immunity to all of what's not happening. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. And it still happens with no thought or effort on your part, basically. You're like a patient. As long as you don't think you're the doctor, just stay on the table, everything works out great. Yeah, as soon as you think, oh, it's over here, you know, I want to cut over here, you no, know, no, then something, then it's made into something. If you can just let it be, leave it the fuck alone, it does a huge amount, yeah. It's what I was looking for, and I had no idea. In all those hours I spent in Thailand meditating in those freaking shacks, you know, for 14 hours, were just a form of blindness, really. The urge and the value of that urge was there, but the way it was directed was blind. I was trying to do and have myself into a state of being. And for me to be really keen on that idea, I had to be actually in the act of forgetting of the state of being that I am. Which seemed really ironic when it hit me, you know? That all that activity to get somewhere was pre premeditated based on the fact that I forgot where I was. <laughs> if I could have just remembered where I was, then I would have... 
<laughs> That's why they talk about forgetting, because the self is only remembered. Yeah, it doesn't have an existence in and of yours. Yeah, you breathe life into it. Yeah, by remembering it, and the thought system is the functionality for that remembering to occur. And you're pictured as a body in the thought system. It value lies in the past and the future because that's where you can appear. It doesn't. The value of the thought system is not here because you're inherently not so here. Yeah. So it doesn't have much value right now. It uses right now to think about there and then, so that it can be remembered. The self can be remembered, and so that's why the antidote to that is in forgetting oneself. And what forgetting to me is, is that you'll lose interest in it and you'll lose your attention in it because it won't be about you. That's what this message supplied to me. It was just a possibility. Hey, this may be a foreign installment. Hey, this is more like a parasitical wind. This thing selfing. It's not you. You're inherently not that which you've taken yourself to be, Paul. That made an effect on me, and I entertained that possibility. And when it started to pan out, I lost interest in the system of thought and interpretation that reinforces the idea of being a soul. And I realized after I lost interest in it and had relief from it, it was my interest and attention in it that, that, was, that was its fuel. I realized the movie isn't good. It's the audience that makes the movie seem so good. I was the audience. I was giving it all my interest and attention. And it was giving back to me a story of being a Paul. Yeah? And I, I became bonded to that story, like a marathon runner put into a closet. I was fucking driving myself crazy. I, I had this ability to be free-range and totally open, and there I am in this conceptual fucking idea of I, me, my, and my mind was just getting neurotic and perverse and just going crazy in there. Yeah, yeah, the door had to be. Then it starts running, you know. Free range alcoholic. I honor the coop, but I'm not cooped up anymore. You know what I mean? I honor the coop. I see its value, but I'm not in the coop. Yeah, I can free range. My mind can entertain possibilities. Like you're inherently okay now, not oh I will be okay because I was once okay. <laughs> Therefore, I'm really not okay now because I'm not what I'm not there and I'm not there. So the, the thoughts of being there once and I will be there in the future even make it worse here. <laughs> now it's I'm inherently okay. I can enjoy peace of mind, like it says in the program of recovery. You'll be able to enjoy peace of mind. It doesn't mean you'll achieve peace of mind. No, you'll enjoy it. The peace of mind is there. But the problem is, if you're addicted to selfing, you're in a form of slavery. You can't stop to enjoy anything. You're being moved like a big hand on your back. You're being moved by time to the next moment, the next bigger and better moment, the next bigger and better thing. You can't enjoy the day because the day is preceded by a past day and followed by another day. Yeah? Even if you ran into what you believe you're looking for, how long could you stop and enjoy it? You'd be moved on that belt. Keep on keeping on, keep on keeping on, moving, moving, moving. You can feel it like a momentum, like an energetic wave you don't see behind our backs. It's called the addiction of time. Time and self are synonymous. The selfing and time are synonymous. You feel it. It's like, an, it's like a pulse. Can feel it in it. Once, once there's, once the pause becomes dominant, you can see the undertow of selfing in time. You can feel it tugging the mind to get into it, to get into it, to pull it into its next little current. Yeah. 
But in the seeing of it, there's your release. If you can see it, you're not that. There's your release. So when you start seeing from it, and now you're looking for all the salvations, like the light preservers and the buoy, it's too late. You're caught in it, in a sense. Yeah? It's to entertain. That could, that could never have actually possibly happened. That's the absoluteness of the solution. Yeah? No matter how you feel, no matter how you're thinking, it's so, it ain't so. It can only appear to be so. Compulsive living is so reinforced by our society. I mean, look at school systems are even compulsory. Yeah, it's like, here, kitty, 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 from kindergarten. Yeah, that's right, of course. The whole thing seems to be in the conspiracy, eh? Because you're giving everything the meaning it has. The thought system is drenched in time, first of all. If, you're, if that's your navigational system, you're navigating by time. Yeah? It's kind of hard not to. Well, it's, it's, a lot easier, it's a lot harder to do. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you that. So, you know, the option is, is much more... Uh, <laughs> there's a lot more possibility in the option. <laughs> yeah. That's the toughing and puffing. It's so hard to give it up. Of course it is when you're in it. Yeah. But if you realize you cannot possibly be in it, then there's nothing to give up. You just see that. Yeah. Then its effects start losing their effects on this whole apparatus because your interest and attention is being drawn out of it. It's a dead system. You're enlivening it. You're making it seem. You're you're the Panavision of this movie. You're the Technicolor. It doesn't have Technicolor as a quality. It's your Technicolor this that it's using. Yeah. Yeah. It's like your God juice is being used by a mental process. So the and there is no thing called an illusion. The illusion is delusion. It's coming from us. Yeah. The delusion is here. Yeah. And therefore the solution is right where the seeming problem is. I found it all rested on this one idea, this this act of the mental process called identification as a self. It's not identification as, which is the verb, and then a noun called self. It's a whole verb called identification as a self. That, to me, is a whole verb. There's not a verb, and then there's the noun that's identified as. There's nothing it's identified as. It's a verb called identification as self, and I define it as self thing. Yeah? That's all it can do. It can't reach the crescendo of being a self. And basically, it's, it's all of its movement is based on agitation and fueled by agitation. So it's desiring to become something, or it's desiring to unbecome something that it believes it is. So let's say you believe you're a loser, you're desiring to unbecome that. You think that a winner would, if you were a winner, would bring all these great stuff, you're desiring to become that. Yeah? All day, desiring to become and unbecome. It's like a slinky. Yeah? It's based on agitation, fueled by agitation. It's like a desire that can never be fulfilled. Yeah? So if you ever had a desire that was thwarted, watch what happens when, what your reactions would be like, getting loaded and this and that. All other addictions stem from this addiction. The conditional mind's addiction to being a self is the original quote-unquote addiction. Yes? Then, because that, that is, it can never fulfill itself, just like if when I used to shoot cocaine, there was never a day where I shot coke once and I said, thank you, goddess of cocaine, I'm satiated. I appreciate it. I humbly offer you my syringe. I give all my coke to everyone else with the hopes that they will find the nirvana of cocaine. I am 
found culmination. No, addictions never end. Yeah? They just morph into something else usually. Yeah? That movement. Why do they have so much steam? Because the original addiction isn't being addressed. The conditional mind's addiction to being a self. Yeah? That's the, that's the dis-ease. That's the irritability, restlessness, and discontent. That's where it, that's the Petri dish. And hundreds of forms of it get manifested in that Petri dish. Yeah? I found with, this is like a row of knots. This is the first knot. Yeah? I try to deal with the eighth knot, my inability to have a viable relationship with people. I, the fourth knot, my addiction to drugs. The third knot, my addiction to alcohol. Yeah? I tried them, but it never really loosened up the first one. Yeah? And then I really saw that these were just symptoms of that. But if I really, if there's a release in the first knot, the thread of this knot goes through all the other knots. Yeah? And you'll know the tree by its fruits. When this releases, you'll see its effects in every aspect of your life. It will reverberate. Now you're on to something. Yeah? I mean, you hit that bell and it rings through everything. You hit this bell of addiction with coke, then you get addicted to, let's say, fucking pain medication. You know what I mean? It just morphs into something else, or pornography, or whatever. But this one, bing, it reverberates through everything. You're on to something. When I'm satisfied on that level, then all the urge and need to, to get satisfied on all these other activities dry up. I could care less about drugs and alcohol. I never even think about them for the last 20-something years. Not one thought ever comes in. It's like the problem doesn't exist for me. Like it never was there because it never was there. How can a problem not experience... How can you experience something never existing for you because in fact it never existed? It can only appear to exist. You're now getting the truth of it by realizing it never existed. Because that is, that is the truth. It never existed. It only appeared to exist to you. And now it's not appearing to exist to you anymore. Yeah. Now, those effects and influences which seem so profoundly powerful have no influence on you. What the hell happened? How could one day something be a problem, and let's say you're in bad shape, it's a problem, the next day you're in good shape, it's not a problem. The next day you're in bad shape, it is a problem. What is it? Is it a problem or isn't it a problem? It's neither. It's, being, it, it's given meaning by the mind. Yeah? It's the mind gives it the meaning it has. It doesn't have a meaning into it, unto itself. It's inherently empty. Yeah? When something happens to what you really are, what you were engaged with will change. <laughs> Seriously. I swear, that thing was the dominant influence of my life and now it doesn't even exist for me. Yeah. It's like a wall that, there was just a door here that I was going in and out of constantly. Now it's been stuccoed over and it looks like there was never a door. That's, why, that's, how, that's how complete the solution is. Yeah. Now that solution is worth the definition of a solution. A solution that, in a sense, produces the problem not appearing to exist for you anymore. That's a damn good solution. And what happens when that occurs? Let's say I have a problem, and it seems to be real. I seek a solution. I entertain the solution. The solution informs me the problem isn't real. Yeah? What happens when the the problem isn't real? The solution goes too. That's how beautiful it is. 
You don't even get harnessed with a fucking solution. It doesn't add one bit of weight to you at all. It pans you down to the complete necessity of just being what you exactly are. No addition, no subtraction. From the solution point of view, the problem doesn't exist. From the problem point of the solution of the problem's point of view, there's a need for a solution. When do you entertain the solution? It negates the problem. The solution goes too. That's how beautiful it is. There's no need for a solution even. That's damn good. That's a damn good solution. That's what's happening. That's a damn good solution. That you don't need one. So if the 12 steps are the solution... Um, no, they're not the solution. Not the solution. No. Okay. Of course, they will. if you look at, through the terminology of, the, of AA, it's the higher power is the solution, isn't it? Yes. The book and the steps are... meant To me, the steps... Diminish a mental condition, which I call selfing, sufficiently enough so an aspect of mind you're not aware of becomes aware. Yeah? And that's your spiritual quote unquote condition. Yeah? Once that is, and the highest form of maintenance of that condition is to know you're that condition. <laughs> By knowing you're not the other condition. Yeah? By knowing you're not the mental condition, the idea of being a self, then you are what you have always been. It's not like you have to now become a spiritual condition. You have been one the whole time. Yeah? You just weren't aware of it. It wasn't actualizing in one's life because you were up the ass of self. Your mental condition was very, very potent. And so what was obvious wasn't being seen as obvious. Yeah? And what was insane was, be, was taken to be so. Yeah. The steps diminish that condition. Your spiritual condition becomes obvious. And, yeah. and it's not a spiritual experience. It's awakening. You can have tons of spiritual experiences and they, will, will, they, they're not, they don't have anything to do with the spiritual awakening. A spiritual awakening is when there's a shift. A shift where uh, all your experiences now get infused with that spiritual awakening. They're not a spiritual experience. Yeah? It's much different. It's a much different state than an experience. Much, much different. It infuses that same, that view of being freed from self into all your experiences. Yeah? And then you can actually say then all spirits, all experiences are quote-unquote spiritual in a sense. Yeah? But it's not a spiritual experience. People can acquire and, and, uh, and you know, uh, amass tons of spiritual experiences that doesn't shift into a spiritual awakening. It's just another experience, which is defined that it's coming and going to go. Yeah. But if you want to call a state, or even a prior to a state, now that knowing that to be your case, yeah, then your view out your your outlook and attitude will change. Yes, you'll have a new one. You'll see like radically different experiences. I wouldn't put any any value in. How many have you had? Most of us have amassed tons of experiences. You know? But can I ask a question? Yes. And we can take it offline later if you prefer, but I'm just curious. Like you said, for the last 20 years, um, you haven't had any desire for that crap that you had before. And uh, now, now you're talking about all these insights. And what happened? Well, I mean, where did all this stuff come from? Did it come in a short period of time? How was that awakening? How did it happen? Did it happen slowly, fast? <laughs> well, I don't think it happens, actually. It's happening. And did then you can come privy to it. Uh, 
You don't have to go there. Yeah, it's yeah. off subject. But I can't help it. I would say more for me because I had some big events, but more it was just uh, being dyed from the inside out, D-Y-E-D. Like the cloth of my life got dyed from the inside out, and then there was a, uh, an acknowledgement of it, but not making it in, into anything. That's the, that's the trick. See, some people I know, they call me up and they're having a big event, but I try to tell them, don't make anything out of it, you know? It's, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be valuable to you if you make it special and stuff. So you it's learn how it's to let go. What? You learn how to let go. Is that, is Well, that yeah, I don't even know if it's learning. I think let my mind shifted let go and let going became a possibility. Something made it happen. Yeah, yeah. I don't care, really. Because if it happened and it wasn't happening now, I'd find no value in it. It's that it's a living happening. That's what I like, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like living. I mean, these talks are just downloading that. And I I found it as like an infinite reservoir because uh, I've done a lot of talks. <laughs> Last 20 something years. Thousands and thousands of times. And I never really, never prepared my bit. And uh, I always get the same sense. So it's like, a, it has a, for me, it has a, a, a drive to extend and to express, whatever. And, uh, yeah, I don't have any sense of being anywhere with anything. Either. I'm here, that's basically it, today. And that, that could even be questioned. <laughs> but, but you are multi-dimensional. <laughs> multi-dimensional, yeah. <laughs> See, I found when I was going to the talks to earlier people, when they started talking about an event that happened to them, the people that would be listening to them thought that that's the way it had to be, and then they already made it into something, and that doesn't serve you. Yeah. If somebody goes, hey, I had this awakening at Kmart, you know, it was a 24-hour sale and I was in the appliance <laughs> section, then people would be going to Kmart, you know, every year on that day, looking at the microwave that I was supposedly looking at at the point with the hopes that lightning would strike twice. You've already made it into something, you see. This is like dog shit awareness, really. It, it creeps up on you, basically. It's like Jesus said, it's like a thief in the night, Yeah? It's already in your house before you know it. And then you find out about it. And that's been my sense. You find out about it. And then I just have a seat assignment with the share. Yeah? Because, uh... I don't know why. I'm just motivated. Because I like to see people travel lighter. And, you know, like they say in those things where people are starving, you can give them a sandwich, but wouldn't it be better to give them the sandwich but also teach them how to farm? Yeah? Like, if this wasn't available now, I wouldn't be offering it to you. If I believe that you'd have to fulfill a few requirements, that wouldn't be appropriate to offer it to you. I'm saying it's always available all the time, right where you are, with no requirements necessary. And therefore, I feel very confident to be able to share it. If not, then we'd have to have preliminary classes. <laughs> you know what I mean? You'd have to jump through some, some hoops. We have to do a background check. How many teachers have you seen and all like this? But that's me. This is just a, this is just your innate condition. Yeah? Now, is it gonna be enlightenment? Who gives a fuck? 
I think you'd just rather travel lighter today. I'll tell you. I really would. If you were traveling lighter today, you may give up a lot of interest in enlightenment and all these things. These future great... I'll have the greatest advantage of all time. This is this isn't this is just about traveling lighter, really. So and it doesn't include the concept of a higher power. Well, it includes all of that, but we don't use that. But of course, if if it's the mind and mind alone that's playing here, so if you would need a higher power, if you need an intermediary, go with that. I would always see what happened with me in the in the in the steps, the process I went through with the steps. The third step is, you know, we turn our will life over to the care of a higher power of our own understanding. Now, after a period of time, that I had a, a download around that, which is, I'm turning my will life over to the care of a higher power of its own understanding. That's what changes everything. To me, then, that's revelatory. Now, this apparatus, this conditional mind, this idea of Paul is in a I-don't-know position where I find out. So I find out about the higher power, not by my through my understanding, but through its own understanding, yeah. which is much larger than my understanding was going to be. Mine was a very small frame put, in, put around that giant, giant power. So now I just live with it. I know a higher power of its own understanding. And I'm in a position of I don't know, and then I find out. and download stuff, and things happen. I see things I didn't see yesterday. Things, you know, expand, you know, the mind expands and expands, and then, uh, yeah. It's like a living, uh, like a living scripture in a way. It's really cool, a lot of ways. Then may not need to be verified by other stuff. But I just found a book I really liked, I'm going to give it a plug, called uh, Lord Buddha's Explanation of the Universe. (laughs) I thought that was the greatest title I've ever seen. Lord Buddha's Explanation of the Universe. Fucking R, far out. It's from the Hinayana, that's in from uh, Theravada, you know. Buddhism is broken into three main schools. Yeah, there's the Hinayana or Theravada, and there's the Mahayana, and then the Vajrayana. Those are the three main schools of Buddhism. This is from the Hinayana, and it's from this, this group of uh, writings called the Abhidhamma, which uh, Buddha supposedly gave a sermon for like 50 days, and he explained everything. <laughs> I mean everything. He explains atoms. He explains every, the energy. And he, his view of mind is that mind is in motion. It's energy, which is all this. I've always had that sense of verbing. Everything is just verbing. Well, his every mind is is just motion. You know, just verbing, 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 verbing. And then the mind produces the, this whole place. It's almost like this mind is dreaming this place. And he tells, and he breaks down very clearly how it's dreamt, and, uh, and, and uh, using the elements of water, air, fire, metal, and the different uh, and the different uh, qualities of that, like what makes water water, and what makes stone stone, and all. It just goes off and off. I could imagine it would have been awesome to be there, right? Sit in some place, listen to this guy just going off on the universe. Maybe we were there. Who knows? Living the dream. Fifty days. I would have signed up for that. This is like you know. He he described the shape of the Earth, way like two thousand six hundred years ago. He described spaceships and planes. He described the atom and and subatomic particles. Buddha. Yeah. He he saw everything. He went in his mind. He saw everything. He went into the mind and he was. 
everything was revealed. He didn't teach everything because it wasn't it had no point. But he he saw everything. What a possibility! Yeah. You wrote this information down. Oh it, well, it's been written. It was. It took a couple hundred years. It was oral, and then they started writing it down about three hundred years, I think, after he gave it. So it was chanted. That's why they chant a lot in Asia. That's how they used to remember what the Buddha said. So they chanted and they passed it on orally. And then this was written by a guy in nineteen fifty something, and then it's been revised by a Westerner from Ceylon. Ceylon has a lot of. Uh, Conservative Buddhism there, Ceylon, you know, the island off of India. Yeah. So, I hadn't read anything in a while, but I was going to. Uh, I don't need to record this. I don't think.